Jesus. So thanks, thanks all you guys for intimidating me. <laughs> yeah, all right? I recognize a lot of you. So it's great. We're really glad you're, be, you're here. Uh, this session came about actually because last year I did a kind of round of conference going that I felt like I went to more bad sessions, not bad content necessarily, but sessions that just didn't be what they could have been. Uh, so we're not saying that we have all the answers. Uh, far from that, we hope some of the answers are gonna come from all of you. But we do hope that you'll have a really fun, fast hour and 15 minutes with us um, that gives you some ideas for your next session. So a uh, first question, how many of you have done conference sessions, presentations? Okay, this is really interesting. I thought I would have like all newbies who wanted to know how to do it. <laughs> okay, how many of you thought, yeah, yeah. Really, how many of you thought your session was great? Yeah, <laughs> so great, yeah. So uh, that's really interesting, all of your experience. Really quickly, what made you come then? I have to do a session and I want uh, some tips. Okay. Oh, like 10.30 or, no, <laughs> really, I don't know if I can help you, Scott. Tomorrow afternoon, Start working on it, yeah. <laughs> then we'll get to something that might help you, yeah. Anybody else? Okay, so we hopefully can do that. Thank you. Like that dead look, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, right, and you all do notice you have crayons. <laughs> so <laughs> there will be some of that, yeah. Because it is interesting, I think there are a lot of alternative formats that the museum field is a little nervous about. <laughs> so we'll see. So uh, that said, that's our introduction. Uh, Lindsay is director of the Laurel Historical Society in Laurel, Maryland, and I asked her to take Susie's place. Uh, Susie and I came up with Lindsay as a possibility at the same time on the phone because we thought she wouldn't be unnerved by anything. <laughs> and, and we have to say, we consider this session as well partly an experiment to kind of see whether uh, as a group together we can really think about how to make conference sessions anywhere better. So uh, we hope you'll bear with us with what works and what perhaps doesn't work. Uh, we aren't promising you that everything works. But we do hope it'll be, you know, engaging and you'll say, as somebody said, a good session is some tips. So hopefully Scott will go back to Alaska <laughs> with his, you know, with a couple things he can use before he does his presentation. So uh, we're going to start with Lindsay. Oh, and I have to say, uh, we're sorry about the microphone in such a small room, but they're tape recording the session. So uh, we will try and remember to be near the microphone for the tape recording people, even though it would be nicer not to. <laughs> so, okay, Lindsay. 
Hi, um, I am not a microphone person. I'm usually way too loud for it, so I'll try not to kill you guys. Um, for everyone who showed up hoping to see Susie, sorry, she couldn't make it, but I am going to go through very quickly an a couple of examples of a bad presentation, which I think, knowing that you guys are all not newbies, you all are familiar with, but hopefully you get some entertainment out of it. So this is me and my dog. He also hates bad presentations. Um, the question that we have is what makes a truly bad presentation? Uh, these are my two volunteers giving a presentation, which were both excellent, of course, because my volunteers only give great presentations. Um, one thing we talked about was really distracting slide designs, where you're like, what is going on there? So my whole presentation is really distracting slide design. Enjoy. <laughs> you can have sounds. Don't you love when you have a presentation that has sounds and you're like, what did that actually add to the presentation? Nothing. And then you get a lot of bullet points. <laughs> Every single one is important. Make sure you write it down. No, I will not give you a copy of the slides. I don't want you reading off them as I present. And then you also have people who are excited about the different fonts they found in PowerPoint, which, um, as you can see, can be quite exciting for us in our boring presentations. I'm sorry, this is actually from one of my volunteers' PowerPoints that she gives at schools, and I can't convince her this is a bad picture. I had someone else look at it and go, does she know there's a giant glare and it's not cropped? I don't think she knows. Um, preparation, which if you're like me and you're asked a month beforehand to give a presentation, uh, it's kind of important, but we're not sure why. So, uh, This is my favorite, especially my love of small museums. Someone who gets up front and says every single detail about their museum, their attendance when they open, their founders, what color the walls are, every single thing you could possibly imagine. Uh, this is also a favorite. I'm just going to keep going and going and going and going, and no matter who waves to me and gives me a two-minute sign, one-minute sign, grabs me off the podium, I'm just going to keep going. Another one. My project was the best. I'm going to tell you everything about it, but do I really need to help you learn from it? Do I really need to help you apply it to your own site? That doesn't sound exciting. Again. No, I can't share the budget with you. Someone I know who attended a large museum conference hates attending their conferences because she says she cannot get a budget from the presenters, no matter what, and from a small museum. She just doesn't see how it applies to her. Uh, when we have lost um, audience, maybe like you guys are now, wondering why I'm going through these slides so fast, Linda will explain. But um, again, another great thing. This is me, and you can't, oh, I can't see the picture that great. These kids don't care at all what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, at all. They, they have absolutely no interest. The ones raising their hands are all our volunteers. We planted them. <laughs> this is people who read word for word from their presentation. And this was actually a picture taken at an exhibit opening that I thought I would delete from the camera forever. But I found a use for it. I wasn't supposed to read that pause in my notes out loud. Um, Linda isn't demonstrating this well, but my favorite is the paper shuffler that just constantly goes through their slides, their slides before they go, or the moderator who keeps going through and looking up at you and then looking at their slides, probably because you're going over, but who cares. Um, hopefully you don't have any questions, especially at the end of this PowerPoint, because we don't want to waste time on me. We want to get you guys doing some interactive stuff. So just look confused. Oh, this was fun. I actually came up with all of these the most meaningless titles ever. So when you look at a session booklet, and you're like, what are they talking about? Like, what does that even mean? So um, when dinosaurs painted, maintaining a public programming initiative in hard times, things like that, and you're like, uh, should I go just to find out what it's about? Or do I not care at all? 
And then the overpromising session description. After attending this session, you're going to save the world, um, which a lot of them have that. And <laughs> then you go back and you don't save the world. So obviously, it was overpromising. And if you have any questions, I'm sorry, but I have to be done now. So that's what uh, a lot of session people do, especially when they go over like me. And I hope Linda explains why I went so quickly. <laughs> there was a reason for it. Yes. OK, Lindsay did, and now she's going to do my slideshow. We decided to do these first two presentations using something called, and the pronunciation of it, I hope That's I have right. That's why I didn't want to say it. Oh, <laughs> nice. Pasha Kusha. Anybody know of it? Hear of it? Yeah. Anybody ever used it? <laughs> Sarah, whose computer we're using? Thank you, Sarah. Uh, 20 slides, 20 seconds a slide to convey your message. But we went to 15. And we actually discovered 20 seconds was too much. Uh, and we went to 15. So I think it's a really interesting way to think, though, because often in conferences, people say, oh, but I, you have 17 long minutes, or however, as a panelist. And I think there's a huge virtue in figuring out how to be direct in getting there. So I'll start you. OK. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what makes a great presentation, I hope. Uh, and I really, with my what makes a, this comes out in part, I, on my blog, the Uncatalog Museum, I did a post about what makes a great conference session and what do you hate, the same kinds of questions we asked here and heard. One time, starts on time, runs on time, and we're going to try and keep that going. It's amazing how rarely that actually happens. Conversation, not just presentation. Uh, I think the real meat of our learning happens when we actually spend time talking to each other, not having someone talk at us. Content. This, oh, and really bad slide layout, I see. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> content. This is Columbus explaining his trip to Ferdinand and Isabella. He's not talking about how he did it. He's talking about the possibilities and what he found. So it's different. The physical space. We actually rearranged these chairs a little bit when we came in. We put up brown paper on the wall. We tried to make a crummy conference space a little different. Images. It's not so easy to find pictures of people with their head on fire. Um, <laughs> all these images are, except for one, are from a single source, the Library of Congress. Uh, fabulous. So Library of Congress, Flickr, more file, look for images. Tell stories and make connections. You want to connect with your audience, whether you start by asking a couple questions of them, however you start, we want you to connect. Diversity of presenters. I mean that in every way. Um, diversity of organizations, diversity of viewpoints, uh, diversity of age, gender, ethnicity, geographic representation. Have time for questions, both for you to ask questions of the audience and for the audience to ask questions. Ideas, not facts. That's a really hard thing to get to, but I think that's what we come for. You know, we don't really care that your printing thing was eight and a half by 11. We care about the idea. Multiple intelligences, I'm sure this audience has worked with all of them. If you haven't, it's amazing to me that conferences don't use what we already know, which is people learn in lots of different ways. HowardGardner.com is a place you can read if you don't know about multiple intelligences. And those, uh, you get to some of those things by doing different activities. Hands-on activities, we'll be doing some later. Um, conversation, 
interviews, which we're going to model a little bit, small group work, which I'll also be doing all those things, um, you know, make for a more engaging than just standing at the podium. Get out from behind the podium. Quite interestingly, uh, Teddy Roosevelt apparently was really great at that, according to the Library of Congress. These photos, he was, I found him always out talking to people. Um, so I think that's a really important to, thing to think about is how can you break that wall? Be passionate. Have you, I've been in sessions where people seem bored by their own presentation, <laughs> right? It's like, wait, and you want me to love it? But also be precise. Lindsay's comment about budgets and things. Make connections. Help your audience, you know, understand how what they have done or are thinking about might connect to somewhere else. Don't just read your talk. You know, make eye contact. And please, this is my, one of my most hated things, do not take the time in a session to read out your panel members' qualifications. I hate that. Make sure, this is Calvin Coolidge's inauguration. Make sure your session delivers what the description promises. <laughs> Coolidge, perhaps not so much. Um, you know, I had one of the comments on, the, on my blog was someone who says, people promise I'm gonna learn this, and they, you don't. I just finished reading a book about conversations uh, called A Good Talk, The Story and Skill of Conversation. And Daniel Menneker, the author, said these three things make a great conversation. Curiosity, humor, and impudence. Okay, now I wanna stop because I don't wanna go to the next slide yet, sorry. That's really quickly our thoughts on what makes it good and what makes it bad. And what we're gonna try and do are a couple different activities for all of you to think about what that might be. So we have, all of you have crayons, yeah? Okay, and then we're giving you a piece of paper. We want you working individually to design the 2111 conference attendee. You have crayons, Lindsay's giving you paper, and we want you to consider the, you know, these kinds of things, age, gender, geographic location. Yes. Um, and there's also more paper. We did not expect such a big group. Uh, back on the table with the water, are there little pads? Yes. Oh, and there's some extra there, okay. So we want you to think about all these things in the museum professional of 100 years from now, that they're coming to ASLH or AAM. Uh, we want you to think not in words. <laughs> Did I hear a oh shoot there? <laughs> Lindsay, here's a couple more. I think we might be okay. Okay, and can you make that bigger so people can see yeah. it? Yeah, does anyone else need paper? Everybody's good? Okay, so think about, not in words, what the conference attendee, but I don't want it to then move, okay. sorry. Um, what the conference attendee of the future is gonna be, 100 years from now provided we're all still going to conferences. I don't know, budget or otherwise, provided we're all still going to conferences. Um, professional training, their first language, their likes and dislikes. So I want you to think visually and not in words about what that person is. I'm just gonna stand here and go back. Okay, so go.
This is the silent meditation room for those of you who just came in. Look <laughs> how weird that looks. Okay, like one more minute. Okay, so who wants to share what they did? Oh, sorry, I have to stand them. Scott! Yeah, what'd you do? Do I hold it up? Yeah, hold it up, please. Well, as my wife knows, I'm not an artist at all, but I have something that's supposed to represent a brain <laughs> with a microchip in it, and the future conference attendee will probably not even go anywhere. They'll just log in and in some 
sort of virtual reality session will make these connections with all these other brains around. Interesting. Do you think that means we don't have to worry about what to wear? <laughs> That's like, would be kind of my hope. Well, we're going to have avatars that we wear whatever. Oh, right. Oh, oh, oh right, of course. Purchased online that has no, you know. Right, relevance. Mine's similar. It's a head that has wires attached to a little device with an apple on it. <laughs> <laughs> so the eyeglasses, the earbuds, the eye eyeglasses, speaker, microphone, all wired directly into the yeah. Yeah. I thought a little differently. Um, the person's carrying a little iPad device because they don't need to bring any paper or pencils, <laughs> but they're desperate for human communication, so they're trying to get people talking. They're very educated, even though they're an entry level museum person, they have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't ask for salary level here. So. Ah, interesting, yeah. I have uh, two people talking to me in the park. I'm a terrible driver, but they're at the park, there's trees and a lake behind them, and they're sharing like a, a device that they're using to talk to each other. And they're talking about the weather, and they're talking about the weather. They have a little one-on-one -on -one communication, and they're also attending their conference through their iPad or whatever. Oh, interesting. Anybody else? Um, I think people will be in a room together, and they'll be connected to people in other rooms. So what I'm getting at is um, people still want to hang out, talk to, have face-to-face -face interaction with people. So uh, conferences might not be in a, might be in different places, but there'll be people in those rooms in those different places talking about something. So a lot of these answers have been about what the conference is gonna be like, not as much about the attendee. I wanna see if somebody took that on. The cowboy hat. The Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crayon selection. <laughs> okay, great. Interesting. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, I, I started out with an older person, uh, kind of hunched over, but holding an iPad, and I kept thinking that, well, you know, there will still be those people who want to be at the place, and so I have a sculpture, I've got an object, I've got a big screen that has all sorts of data on it, I've got another person, but I think that there are a whole lot of experiences that people want, they just don't want one way of engaging, and um, I think we'll still really want objects, we'll still really want real authentic things. So I find it really interesting that the idea that 100 years from now an old person is going to be holding on to their like iPad is this like weird antique. It's <laughs> like, oh wait, <laughs> yeah. I agree with what she said up front. They're all going to be highly educated and young people who 
Ah. Um, so, and I also have a female, and I drew pigtails on mine because, I mean, she's that young. She's really young. <laughs> Great. Anybody else want to share? Now question. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, John. Oh, it's like my favorite Martian. <laughs> okay, that made me sound really old. Sorry. <laughs> yes, Stacy. Really, more bad sessions. A hundred years worth of bad sessions, Scott. That's terrified me. But it was hard to do the attendee. It was hard to think about the person. But that's a great observation because that's when bad conference sessions happen, right? Is because it's hard because you don't know. I didn't know who was going to show up today. And for some weird reason, I didn't think I'd have a lot of field service people. And I see a lot of you. Totally makes sense. I know that's what you do. So it's not surprising you're here. But I think to really think about your audience, right? How much time in museums do we spend thinking about audience? More and more and more. I think we spend less time in sessions thinking about the audience, that we're still in conferences really using the funnel model that we're just going to pour, pour it into all your little receptive brains. So I have a couple questions about what did you think when we asked you to do this? How many people thought in their heads, I can't draw? How many of you drew anyway? Right. <laughs> right. It's okay. One of the things I've learned in session presenting, because I've been lucky enough to do it both here and in other countries, you just got to, as a presenter, believe that people are going to do it. <laughs> if you're tentative and, you, and if you say, I know you can't draw, and then people won't do it. We didn't give you guys that option. And you all did it. It doesn't matter if you draw a stick figure with antennas on top. It matters that you think about the process. And it's interesting. We're happy to think that people are willing to talk, right? We're totally willing to assume that in a conference session, people are willing to talk or be verbal. We're less willing to think that they have other kinds of, that they operate in different ways, that they have different ways of learning and thinking, and to ask the entire group to engage in those activities. So that's, I think, something to think about is what can, you, what can you develop in a session that really encourages people to just use a different part of their brain. Um, you know, we asked you to do this one by yourself. We'll, we'll later ask you to do something in a small group because those are two different kinds of things. And um, we want you to think about it. You know, I did hear from people who loved small group sessions when you had to talk to your neighbor and people who hated them. You know, I kind of love them myself. But everybody's different, and the idea is that sessions should be engaging to kind of a lot of your audience. So the next thing we're going to try and model as an experiment, and uh, I have to say, a lot of my thinking about sessions, I owe debt to Nina Simon, um, who does great sessions at AAM. Uh, if you haven't been to her sessions at AAM, you should, um, because she uses a lot of different things. When people talk about their own projects, often they don't get to the heart of what's interesting, I think. It's hard to know. So uh, Lindsay is going to interview me about a project I worked on, and we're going to try an interview format. And we will, uh, in advance, say it's not necessarily, it's not at all rehearsed. I think you can sit here. All right. We have to hold the microphone. It's really talk showy. Never okay, mind. never mind. We'll We're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Standing man on the street interview. 
This is, uh, I feel like a reporter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Linda, we're, I'm going to interview you about the Montgomery Connections Project. And let me ask the audience, how many people have heard of the Montgomery Connections Project? Okay, two. <laughs> well, that being the case, can you give us a short overview of what it was? Sure, the Montgomery Connections Project was a trilingual project in Montgomery County, Maryland, the DC suburbs, to uh, explore local history in public venues that were not at the museum. Can you tell us about the demographics of Montgomery County? Montgomery County has about a million residents, uh, about 25% of whom speak a language other than English as their first language. Uh, the first, so English is the first language, um, Spanish is the second, and Mandarin is the third. Montgomery County is a high-tech corridor. People spend more than an hour commuting to work on average. Okay, how did you find people um, in the historical society that were interested in putting things in Spanish and Mandarin? The Historical Society really, I worked on the project as a consultant, and it was really a challenge for the Historical Society whose traditional audience did not include Spanish or Mandarin speakers, and required them to really go out and go into the community and have conversations with different community groups to engage. That's a process we started in the formative evaluation process. How did you find the community groups in the community? <laughs> uh, now I have to think of that remember the answer to that. Um, there are there's a Spanish language newspaper um, that uh, some promotion went in and through us through the county diversity office. As a small museum professional that attends conferences all the time with sessions that talk about reaching diverse audiences, I find it frustrating when people do not talk about how they actually made the contact and got some buy-in from the community groups. So can you talk about the relationship between the Historical Society staff and those community groups? Uh, I think the staff worked hard to build those relationships, but in the way of many organizations these days, the, st the staff who worked hard at that has moved on. And so I think there's a particular challenge in maintaining relationships. I also think there's a particular challenge in that they want community group input, but often uh, boards are less open to opening up board membership to diverse, diverse members of the community. And that's really, I think, how you get people involved. In the long term. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm working on the mic thing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the project itself, what it entailed, where it went, um, the content? Originally, the project was supposed to be pop-up banners that said, did you ever wonder, in three different languages, and a number you could call. And it said, did you ever wonder about being a slave in Montgomery County? Did you ever wonder about how people survived the Great Depression? But you could call and then hear more details in one of the three languages. And then we hope people would respond. There's also a website, also in three languages, that did that. Um, we found the pop-up banners in Montgomery County strangely hard to place. Uh, we found a bus shelter ads really great, because people are just killing time in bus shelters. That's what you're doing, and, and bus ads. The recession was fabulous because the transit authority didn't have other advertisers, so they let <laughs> ads stay up a long time. Did people call? Not as many as we had hoped. <laughs> 
But I have to tell the one story that makes me think it's totally worth doing this. That we, at one point on the Spanish, the lines were different, so on the Spanish line, in response to the poster about the first Chinese immigrant in Montgomery County who appeared in the census in 1910, who ran a laundry, <laughs> which seemed really funny in a way, but um, a Spanish-speaking immigrant called and said, my name is whoever, I am in this country by myself, reading this gave me hope for my future. <laughs> and it's like, okay, it is totally worth it. So although we didn't reach as many people, and I think that's one of the challenges of evaluation, how do you evaluate who saw your? Yeah, you, you talked a bit yesterday in a session about problems with quantifiable <laughs> <laughs> results. Um, can you talk about how you tried to justify that or tried to put it into an evaluation for, sorry, I think you said the funders in the back, but <laughs> for the funders? <laughs> um, well, we try, did try and think about how it was gonna, uh, how to evaluate it. It proved really challenging. I, I don't think we were successful in evaluating it, but that doesn't mean I don't think the project was successful. So you would say the project was a success? Yes, but I think it's only a first step for that organization in terms of engaging the community. It's not an end step. Do you think this is the type of project that another historical society or museum could take and do in another place, or do you think it was organic from that situation? We designed it around what Montgomery County is, around the demographics. That's why there were three languages. People are like, but what about Hindi? It's like, okay, we have money for three. Um, <laughs> and we designed it the fact that people really travel all the time and they don't have time to go to the museum, really. I mean, it was really also about getting out. I think you could replicate it, but it was totally made possible with funding from IMLS and a big chunk of funding from IMLS, so. So what would you say was the biggest challenge at Montgomery County with that project? Whoa, as a consultant, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, the biggest challenge you can say in front of an audience. Right. <laughs> On the mic. Really, who's not from Montgomery County. Um, uh, I know, I know, right, and available everywhere. Thanks for reminding me, Connie. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> really, um, I think all of us, I think we should have spent, and I think this in general about a lot of projects, we should have spent more time up front as a staff and as a consultant in thinking, because it was a direct change in between when the grant was written and the grant was received, I feel like we should have spent more time really thinking about what it meant and the assumptions that all of us as a team were bringing to the table. And I guess we'll end on a good note. What was the most enjoyable thing other than the excellent story you told? Um, for me, because I live in a rural area, it was actually great to think about how a suburban, a really suburban county attempts to engage people in history. Okay, thank Thanks. you. <laughs> so, oh, yes, questions. Oh, so uh, initiative was the director who then <laughs> retired before the grant came. Um, not, um, I have to say, it just happened that way. So it was her initiative, um, and she and I then worked to kind of shape it in a different way. Um, our criteria, our initial criteria, we thought was going to be the number of phone call call-ins we had, and that 
either we failed horribly um, because we did not have as many as we hoped for, or that wasn't the best criteria to use. A uh, Connie evaluation first in CIDIC, right? Right. And you're not trapped in these narrow definitions of success. Like numbers I mean, through the gate. So right. If you stick with numbers on all these, all these projects you work on, you're sunk. Yeah. If you don't feel, because you know there's a zillion other reasons it's successful. But you've got right. But in a way, if you looked at the pure phone call numbers, we weren't successful. Yeah. Were you able in your work to go beneath the first? layer of purely ethnic definition and looking at Latino and Mandarin populations and look at other uh, diversity in your audience such as age or socioeconomic or um, education level or? No, we didn't. We didn't frame the project in terms of that, so we didn't look at it. No. Okay. Is there a way you could have scaled it down so it would have been? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. How would you have done that? How would I have done it? Um, <laughs> we've done something very small. But we, we've done something very small with no grant money. And every time I meet a volunteer or I have a friend that speaks another language, um, I ask them to translate one page of our local history into their language. And then I put it on our website. It's very small. And I bring it wherever I go where I know people speaking that language, or that might be their primary language. So then I have an introduction. And it's a much, much smaller version. And I don't think it in any way compares to Montgomery Connections, but with absolutely no budget, it's our first step. But hers, oh, hers is awesome, too. Right. Right. And I think thinking about scalable, the way this also could have been scalable is to uh, they actually were successful in getting sponsorship for some of the pop-up banners, you know. So a pop-up banner costs you like 125 bucks, <laughs> you know, to kind of have one of those things that are in McDonald's or whatever. So um, I think you could do it. We, and I should also say that the other important thing about this project, the other takeaway for me, was not to make assumptions. One of the, ban we did focus groups at the start with a an African-American audience, a Chinese-speaking, a Mandarin-speaking audience, and a Spanish-speaking audience, who were primarily Guatemalan. Um, and I had thought this story about this guy in the Civil War would, sorry, I'm in Richmond, but um, <laughs> would be like totally, I, I'm thinking, okay, these audiences are not going to care about the Civil War at all. And this group of Guatemalan women loved the Civil War story. And I was like, and the, and the evaluator said, why? And she go, they said, we have lived through a Civil War. This gives us hope. And I thought, wow, that is an assumption I never would have made. 
because I didn't know enough about the community. I didn't know about their history. I saw the Civil War only in my kind of Northern American way. So I think the idea of getting out there and talking to people, I actually think the most important part of the project in some ways was the evaluation piece, the formative and front end evaluation. And that anybody can do. Yeah. So, Sarah. Sarah. I think what's really interesting is that your conversation was so cool that we're now not talking about presentation. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Oh, right, good point. Happening. So it, it's still happening. You're describing the part that you like. And then the thing I want to throw out there for evaluating is if you've ever read an article called The Five Whys, it's not about evaluating. It's about getting down to what you really want to do so that you, you know you're talking about the right thing. So if you were to Google The Five Whys, it's actually a grant writing article um, that I did not write. So I can Five Whys. So, and so I think what we want to, the takeaway we hope for all of you about this interview process is the, the ability of someone to ask questions rather than a formal presentation leads, Lindsay was familiar with the project to start um, and so allows for kind of a deeper conversation. Um, we had agreed that there were no ground rules. Um, she didn't ask me about budget, but I would have talked about it. Um, you know, so I think that that's, you know, think about if you're doing a panel session about whether interviews are a more effective way than having people read things. Yeah. We, we've thought about this, but we haven't done it yet. But, you know, we have panel sessions at our annual meeting in Ohio, and they're just fascinating um, and all that stuff. But, um, <laughs> wow, yay, Ohio. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit sarcastic. Um, <laughs> some are. Okay, no, I've got myself out of that hole. Um, Mike doesn't but, really and that's good. Um, but instead of a panel session, as we think of a panel session, we have maybe a moderator ask each panelist questions about their project. Sort of start out with a set list of questions about what was your budget, what was, how did you evaluate, you know, how did you evaluate it, or some questions, and have each of those panelists answer those questions as sort of a, a jog to the audience to begin thinking of their questions right. and what they want to get out of the session and then open it up to their questions and their things they want to know. I mean, in some ways, I think the best sessions come about when it becomes really lively. When somebody in the audience says, I can't do that, how else am I going to do that? That's actually, I think, what makes a good session. Because if you're asking that question, other people are thinking it. Right? You're not the only one going, oh, way, no way, Montgomery County, one of the richest counties in the country. <laughs> right. And so I think that's a really important part. So that's what we, that, that's one suggestion. So, so far we've talked about Pasha Kusha, 20 slides and 20 seconds a slide. We've talked about individual work that is a hands-on thing. Uh, we did interview and now, yay, small group work. <laughs> okay. So. I'm going to ask you to work with your row, okay? You can take any one of these titles, which I hope do not belong to anyone in this room because they are, oops, 
They are actually session conference titles from this conference. <laughs> okay, so you can take anyone you want in your row. I know, I know. It's like, I didn't like, and, and I tried to choose administrative y kinds of ones, um, you know, uh, curatorial ones and education ones to kind of give a range. I want, we want you to work in your row and you might want to take a look about what I hate about conference sessions and what makes me love a conference session and design a conference session around that meets that title but is engaging and active. You can pick, your group can pick anyone. I'm not going to assign you. Okay? So go to work. And then we'll ask you to share them. <laughs> yeah, maybe first establish that no one in your row is working on that one. Yeah, it doesn't, no, nobody owned it up. I arranged it so we could sit, and then I was the mic Did you see um, Mary Pien? Sorry, I'm like in your way. I should say, if you need supplies to create how you're going to do it, we do have close to enough scissors, glue, and various things if you need them.
and um, Linda, we're well ahead. Are we good? Do you know when we told them to start? Like five minutes? No, maybe. Yeah, maybe five minutes. So what time are we? We do have a lot of time. Yeah. Because they're not going to need to work till 9.30. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll have a lot of... I'd say we give them five more minutes, and then we... Comments and questions. Well, we ask them to share. Yeah. What, is this your last... I think it's kind of blown up. Yeah. I think when I realized halfway through my presentation that we didn't explain why I was doing it so quickly, I kind of was like, oh, crap. That's like what was going through my head, but I think that was the only hiccup. Yeah, and that really okay. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to have to go back in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I demonstrated two things that I think are emblematic of a good conference session. One, we were so loud that people across the hall closed the door. <laughs> and two, I think a great conference session is when the chairs are totally all mixed up. That's like my idea of when the room leaves and it looks like a tornado's hit, that's great. Great, I have to say, great conversation. You guys are really great. So who wants to, what group wants to share what they did? We'll do it in the back here. We're, we took group number five, hands on, hands I think a lot of people did. We, we thought that that session probably was based on Jim Vaughn's article about how handling objects and caring for objects and how you could use them. So uh, Kat came up with a wonderful suggestion to get everybody's attention at the front because we assumed this was gonna be all the whiteboard people that show up, mm -hmm. so we're gonna have China, a piece of nice piece of china with a curator type presenter at the front with white gloves on who's going to drop that by accident. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have everybody's attention. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we would pres present for the group basically a case study. We would present the, the mission of the organization and then we would have mm -hmm. a stack of cards which represent all the artifacts in the collection. And we would ask the group to develop a hierarchy of use and conservation, and actually maybe go that four levels so they would go around and place those cards. We figured that that would, would result in some fairly interesting discussion about where you put certain things in this. And then at the end, we're gonna put paper around the room and have people write the principles be between each one of the uh, steps in the hierarchy. Great, anybody else do the Rembrandt rule? Okay, yeah, so front, what did you guys do that was? having um, demonstrations of what it's like to have a hands-off experience with an object and what it's like to have hands-on experience with an object. But then we moved on to something a little more creative. We wanted to do a fishbowl role play where we would have a role play of um, going into a, a, a historic home, let's say, where you can't touch anything. And two of the panelists would represent sort of the museum folks, and then we'd do people from the audience be visitors, and they'd have different roles and different desires to touch things. Um, and so we do a little role play about a, a tour about that with everybody observing and then talk about it. And then we would do a role play with a museum with a different kind of policy about touching and, you know, whatever levels happen there. Um, and have the, same, have the discussion and talk about the differences um, in doing Okay, and the other group with the Rembrandt rule, you guys, yeah.
the other thing we talked about was with our panel, we would make sure that there were different people um, from different institutions with different different types of ideas of what they do as a good nurse doc, and so they could talk about the differences with that. But we'd actually have people working in small groups. Okay. Uh, we had a, there's another one. Oh yeah. Everybody wants to talk about it. Well, we had this sealed the deal. I happened to bring. It happened to have my white gloves <laughs> with me. <laughs> we said first off, we thought it was a false. It's a false dichotomy. It's a false debate. Hands on, hands off. It's a continuum. So we were going to take some. First, we probably were going to create. You guys speak. Speak up. But this room would become a museum gallery. We could do it in a gallery, but we were just going to put. We didn't put do not sit signs on. <laughs> oh, that's great. Create, transform this environment. And then, and then, um, and then talk about get at the purpose. We want an exchange of philosophies about why exactly hands-on, what it does for people, why do they like it, and vice versa. What exactly can you learn? You have to. There's at either pole. There's, there's you have to have great respect for those positions, but there's something underneath that drives people too. So what can you learn? You know, why do you have to take care of that? So an exchange of uh, perspectives, and maybe even if we had two groups. One group designs the you know, designs and tells us exactly the purpose of a hands-on, a great hands-on program for some group, and the other side does the opposite for the hands-off, and then you switch, and then you have a different assignment uh, as in group. So again, it's just this exchange of philosophies, you know, because it's not it's not, a, it's not an even or thing. Sometimes it is specifically, but so I'm as you're talking, <laughs> I'm picturing a session that's some version of capture the flag. <laughs> <laughs> Where the curators are defending the objects and the other people are. <laughs> right, it's the full body <laughs> kinesthetic <laughs> learners. <laughs> right, right, to have a conversation. Exactly. Who else? So a different session that somebody chose. Yeah, Scott. We, we chose um, group two, state policy response for state owned historic sites. But that sounded a little dry. <laughs> you think? <laughs> and so we tried to come up with an innovative idea how that would be the best session anybody ever went to. All right. So, so what we came up with was that we would um, create a situation where the audience would help develop a series of one-act plays that would be then acted out uh, on either historic sites that have had to deal with state bureaucracy and so the, the audience would actually come up with the content because they would come to this session, they would say, yeah, I've had this problem, so I'm gonna come to the session and figure out what the solution is. But actually, they would be, we'd be crowdsourcing it. So they would actually generate the, the content for it. And in, in small groups, they would develop these one-act plays and then the plays would be acted out. And the great ideas then would be all written down and produced at the end of it and presented in some fashion like they would either the walk out. would be at the end. The right. would be at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, it's funny because I envisioned that somehow those acting out were going to be acted out at the historic sites when yeah, you were describing you know, it. The thinking was that we take the state policy, such as you can't have an event in this, at, at this place, and then the, the person who's there who has the policy that would then each of these groups would then come up and say why that's not a good idea, and the group that makes the best case because of community involvement or whatever would then be granted. So the idea was they were challenged the idea by the whole internal ideas of what they were trying to do. Right. Because you can envision a session where someone from Alaska says, here's the policy response, and someone from New York says, here's the policy response. And, right. I mean, really, I hope that's no one's session. There's not even a colon in that title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody else who took a different group? 
I know colons are critical, right? To museum people, where would we be without them? What'd you guys do? Well, we chose group three clothing and house museum, London's Lemonade. And one of the things we thought we would do is to engage the audience early on. Uh, we would have them sit around tables as opposed to this kind of setup. We would give each um, table either a, a, an artifact or a primary source or a document of some sort that would focus on some of the reasons why um, you know, museums and house museums in particular, but museums are closing in today's context. So one might be economy, one might be interest, whatever. They have that discussion, they come back and they share. And then we we have this large context and we focus in on some specifics through some interviews of what actually happened and then what came out of that ideas like um, you know, where did the collections go? Um, how do you continue the life of the museum? Things like that. So we didn't get further than the engagement and then the interview, but getting a context and then right. specific. Right. So it's really relevant to everybody. Okay. Any other groups? Yeah, Stacy. I just have a question and an observation maybe for, for the group at this point. A lot of these all sound like really awesome sessions. I'd like to come to them next year. So go ahead and propose them. Um, but they do sort of involve that idea of radical trust that your, the people in the room are going to participate and are going to bring something worthwhile. And the folks that after, after they have participated, they're going to feel as though it was a worthwhile session. And I think one of the scary things about doing this sort of session is um, fear that everyone's going to give you that blank look yeah. and, and, and not have something to say. And then you're going to have this hour of of, of, of generating that. So how, well, how do you ask the questions? How do you do the setup to guarantee that as best as possible? And I'm kind of asking this because I'm doing a fishbowl this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I try to use this idea. So I will be applying these ideas um, this afternoon. Sarah, you look like you had. Well, it's sort of a parallel question. That what prep do we do before the session? How do you orient so that people make the right choice about coming to the session? We all get surprised by a session that's better than we thought. And we came to because it was a good idea rather than we wanted to. But how do you make sure that fewer people are surprised by the radicalness of your presentation before they come in? Because we're now not trained to expect something like this. And that's an interesting question about writing session descriptions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did have someone uh, say to me on post on the blog that says, I hate it that they write these session descriptions and they're nothing. Uh, what did you think you were going to get at this session? I came because of you, not because of the title. <laughs> oh, thanks. But what did you expect? Well, I was looking for one good idea that I could take away from that. Which is kind of how I think about all conference sessions, actually. <laughs> if I get one good idea, I'm totally happy. But it'd be nice to get more than one good idea, right? Um, the conference description, I mean, that's, that's that bigger issue of cancellation or any organization that says, here's the theme, here's what we want you to say. Right. We want you to mix various viewpoints. I've had sessions where I've added people and it subtracted from it because we couldn't figure out how to how we gel. Right. And it fell apart. So and some of it's institutional that we've got to have the freedom to explore. Right. And and I think there, so as a presenter, I think there's a, that willingness to be okay with uncertainty, I think is a big part of being a good presenter. Um, right, I do, I do. I think it, like, yeah, this morning at like 6 a.m., I'm not sure I thought that, but, <laughs> but 
<laughs> that's a big part of it. But I think it is then it's incumbent on um, you know conference organizers to really push the issue about good innovative sessions and to turn down sessions that sound boring. Well, and related to, you know, I, I, I understand your concern, Stacey. I really understand your concern. <laughs> because you don't want people walking out saying that I didn't under, I participant didn't understand what was going on. But the alternative is they fall asleep. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, either way, it's going to be, it could be, not it's going to be, it could be a bad session, either through long, you know, PowerPoint presentations with lots of words and, or by people having their expectations not met in terms of how the information is presented. So what have we got to lose? And so, yeah, what, it's interesting. I have spent a lot of time in Ukraine over the past two years. If you read my blog, you've got to know. And presenting in another culture, Sarah also has done this recently, is a really interesting thing because their expectations are totally different. And I found at first, like my first conference presentation in Ukraine was a disaster, really. Um, and then I tried to fit myself into what they expected, and that was totally wrong. <laughs> I was like, no, I am like, I am not going to stand up there and read my paper like I'm some museum scientist from the US, which is how they perceive me. I'm going to make people do what I just, you know, the kinds of things I make all of you do. And um, people eventually buy in. You know, and if they don't buy in, too bad. I, I mean, right? Well, <laughs> right? I mean, that doesn't mean you should be sensitive to that no. and want to have that handout with the tips on it. Right. right? Okay, no handout. Oh, sorry, we have no handout. <laughs> sorry, well, just as you said that. Um, but. Right. I mean, and, and I think the presenters also need to be open to learning. Yes. You know, I mean, just because I did it once and it really went bad. That doesn't mean the information was bad. It meant that I need to work a little harder on on, on uh, figuring out a way to present this information in an engaging fashion. I mean, and kind of what's hard about conferences, you do it once. Like next year, it's like I'll be talking about something well, totally I'm different or something. Yeah, it may not yeah. Be the same topic, right? But, but the ways of engaging. And I would say um, that. I hate to present sessions where you just stand up and read the PowerPoint, yeah. obviously, or I wouldn't be here. But um, one of the things that I always struggle with is whether to write in the description, the session description, that's going to be interactive. Because I always think there's going to be people that are afraid and don't show up at all because they know they're going to be put in a fishbowl situation. But then that kind of alleviates the pressure of people walking in and having no idea they're going to be put in a fishbowl. So it's a balance, but I almost always want to put in the description, it's going to be interactive, so don't come if you want to sit and read a PowerPoint for an hour and a half. I go back to multiple intelligences. People know what their intelligences are. Maybe they prefer the PowerPoint. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say, there's not a lot of danger at the SLH. I've found most people pretty hard And I have to say, like Kat, I'm drawn to sessions by people who I think are doing interesting things. I read your blog, so that was 
sorry. Thanks, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great stand-in. Okay, my blog is, I just want to tell everyone. It should be, yeah. Oh, okay. There, oh, it's in red, so unhelpfully where you can't see it. I'm sorry. It's called the Uncatalogued Museum, and if you just get, Google that, you'll find it. Um, it really, I'm sorry, it's in red. Um, so, yeah, I, and I will try and write about this session. Um, on the blog as well and kind of summarize some of the takeaways. Uh, we could also actually uh, <laughs> embed both our slideshows on the blog. I can actually kind of do that. So um, <laughs> you, I don't you, think they need a copy of my slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> I want a copy of your slideshow. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. Sorry, don't, but yeah. that would be very helpful because we're trying to communicate to our moderators yeah. what makes a good and a not good session. And that's kind of a funny. Okay. Yeah, like. Not. It wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> it, it was. So insulted. <laughs> yeah. love a session where people talked about like the worst project what I ever did, did. Yeah. <laughs> and why yeah yeah one of my favorite sessions ever a long time ago at a, at a training in New York State my colleague Christopher Clark did a session about something else but it was a, a workshop for new directors and he said okay at the end I'm going to give you the five things I did right as a new director and the five things that I was so dumb about and did totally wrong and I have to say, I, it was a long time since I'd been, I'd been a director for a long time by the time Christopher spoke. Those five things, because I saw myself in some of them, and others I was like, whoa, why didn't I think of that? Were totally great, and it's because he was really honest in saying, why did I think writing a letter to the editor telling them that they were stupid was really good, <laughs> for instance. So yeah, uh, anybody have any? We're out of time. Are we out of time? Five minutes? Yeah, see, because I moved me. Any other burning, like, I wish I knew how to deal with this, what do I do in a session? Any other big questions that you want the group to help solve? Yeah. It's not a question so much as an observation, and I think while we all may be presenters once or twice or several times during the next year, we have day-to-day -day jobs, whether those are exhibit curator jobs or educators' jobs in museums. I think one of the real important messages for me as a takeaway is how can we take what we've learned to be good presenters and to shake up the way you engage and inspire and take it back to our workplace and be presenters in our right. museum work, In meetings. Work in, world, yeah, exactly. In meetings with our colleagues or with school children or whatever. And I think some of the models that we've talked about other context. So I should end with maybe well, we should. Well, you don't have to end with. I just. <laughs> no, because I'm going to end. I'm applying these things to what I can do 
even more engaging as a in, that person. That, which is a great observation. And so I was going to conclude with uh, what my colleague Stuart Chase uh, refers to as the three B's of his professional life. Brisk, bold, and bodacious. <laughs> For those of you who know Stuart, that's like totally Stuart. But uh, there is, we work in a field that should be fun. We should be passionate about our work. We should convey our work passionately, and I think we should have fun. I totally think jobs should be fun. And that's, I think, what all too often sessions fail to convey. So we hope you have fun. We still have candy left. Uh, I'll blog about it. You can find both of us kind of this week here that we're happy to talk about more. And thank you all for being such really, really oh, a great do audience. The session oh, do the session evaluation. Sorry, I was instructed. And please take your crayons and post-its because I don't want them back. Yes. Free prize. Thank you all. Let me delete these off her computer so oh, I'm not jamming up her computer. Yeah. 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 Yeah.